I think here, Eduardo, um, when we were over at the Czech Republic in December, um, Marcus specifically asked uh, for you to lead the team. So you were um, handpicked by the captain. So, um, you know, if, uh, if the colonel, the captain asked for um, ammunition, uh, we give it to him. So you and the team are some, have been carefully chosen to this work. So we're praying for you. We'll continue to pray for you. We're going to pray for the Denny's, who is, Marcus has grown remarkably um, mature, where um, it was a different man that I met in December versus two years ago. And um, what a godly man. So it'll be privileged that you are not going to serve him, but I believe that he'll be serving you by just observing him in ministry and his love for the unbelievers and believers alike. So um, in light of that, next week, um, we are still planning, along with the Czech Republic team, to have an India team this fall or into this winter, and also somewhere down the road, uh, South Africa team within the next 6 to 12 months. So in light of that, next week, next Sunday, we will have a missions offering, um, to, the opportunity to all of you to partner there are different ways for us to be missionaries. I believe God saves all of us to be missionaries. And by other means, some people have the time and just ability to go, but some people don't. But all of us as Christians, I think we could participate in other ways where, number one, we could pray for them. We could partner and fellowship through via prayer. And secondly, through financial support. It takes... It's fairly expensive to go to Czech Republic in the summer, and there's a lot of costs involved. So um, with the fuel cost being up, it just um, increased the cost us that much more. So you could, if you like to participate, be able to give joyfully and cheerfully, please do so through prayer. So prepare your hearts, and there will be opportunity next Sunday to give to them. So at this time, let's just reach out and pray for the, the Czech team and the service this morning, and ask God to bless our time. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunities you're giving us throughout the world. You are so faithful to us to continue to grow us and to have your word, your good news go forward in all corners of this earth. And we have an opportunity with Pastor Marcus to be able to minister to, to uh, the people of the Czech Republic through English camp. And our team that is going over there, we pray that you grant them um, hearts to just serve the Denny's and hearts to serve those who are unbelieving, unbelievers now, and then be able to plant seeds of grace in their hearts that you may water and you may grow it. And we also pray for this morning that you would grant us time of a blessed time to sharing of your word, sharing what you have to teach us this morning. And we entrust everything onto you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk about contentment this morning. And Paul says in Philippians 4, contentment is a learned behavior. And he uses that word several times. But contentment, it's interesting. It's an interesting concept. You know, most of you know, and some of you don't know, about nine years ago, and it's been more than nine years, almost going on 10th year, I had open heart surgery. I found out on Wednesday I need to have my rib cage cracked open and exposed my heart, maybe even stopped my heart. 
And on Friday at noon, I was going to surgery. I remember being rolled out. They just shaved my body <laughs> and like cleaned me up. I rolled in and noon, they knocked me out. I remember them counting to, they say count to 10. They're going to knock me out. I got to about two or three. I was out. That's all I remember, about two or three. I was out. They said, the surgery will take about four or five hours. I wake up. The medicine's really good these days or even 10 years ago. I wake up and Sophie tells me it's four in the morning. Okay, so I was like halfway gone, but I could do real simple math, right? 12, 12 o'clock, you add four, it's not four in the morning, right? There's about 10, 12 hour gap. I go, what happened? Well, I found out that they did the initial surgery, they closed up my rib cage, and there was continual bleeding. In four or five hours, they took me back in, they opened it up, and then um, they fixed what I did, they needed to do, and they fixed it up, and that was four in the morning, right? So during that time, I got blood transfusion. I was running out of blood. It was fairly um, emergency. And then my lungs got filled with liquid, fluid, like phlegm, where it just won't breathe on my own. You left me on my own, I would have just stopped breathing. So they put a ventilator in, which is the, one of the most horrible inventions people could invent. It's a, it's a torturous as it gets. I had that tube down in my throat for about a week, breathing for me until I could breathe 90% on my own. And during that time, I'm knocked out. I'm a fairly active person. I was just bedridden for that whole time. And your throat just gets extremely dry. There's no liquid going into your throat. They're feeding through my stomach. Well, I don't know what they're feeding. But it didn't feel good, right? They're doing this, and I just I was lying there about fourth or fifth day, and I was like, it was during summer. And I heard the nurses, these guys, they're talking about food. There's a guy, here's a, here's a, here I am lying there. I haven't had food in about a week. They're talking about watermelon, right? That's one of my favorite things in the world, watermelon. So I was like dying there, like, I would like kill to have a watermelon right now, right? I would kill to have a watermelon. That's the first thing I wanted, right? I said, once I get this thing out, I'm just going to have a whole watermelon to myself. <laughs> that was my goal. So, but by God's grace, about a week later, they pulled that thing out. And I saw that thing come out. It is about, about this long. <laughs> it came out. I just I couldn't believe that was in my body. They took it out. I like My life, I gained my life back. Like watermelon, I would have been really content with just watermelon the rest of my life, right? I was so happy when I got that out and I got watermelon. And that night, I missed games. It's 2002 playoffs, NBA playoffs in June, right? I missed the first three games of Lakers just beating up on New Jersey. Game four, when they clinched it, I watched that game that night, um, eating, enjoying watermelon in the ICU. <laughs> It was like glorious, right? I was so happy. I was so content. Next morning, I turn on TV. U.S. Open is on, right? Tiger's going on the street. I'm so happy. And then that evening, the World Cup is on, right? God was so gracious to me, right? Here I am. I can't do anything, right? I, I couldn't even go to the bathroom by myself. I couldn't walk by myself. They told me when I went home, I couldn't go upstairs by myself. I couldn't do anything. But I could watch TV and eat watermelon, right? So I was like, I was so happy. 
I was so content, right? I should have, like, I'm thinking back, I should have enjoyed those moments. Like, nurses cater to me. I push a button, they come running, bring me whatever I want to eat, drink, or, you know, because I lost, like, 30 pounds in, like, a week and a half, right? So, like, they're, like, feeding me as much as I want, right? So I was, like, so happy with just simple things of life. Like, having, like, little 7-Up, right? That was, like glorious, right? This is all to tell you. Uh, <laughs> you know, when simple things are taken away, um, your contentment goes. When things get taken away, period, our contentment goes. Um, but when we don't have anything, where we get down to the bare bones, like Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, we have to be able to say, I'm content. Contentment comes through understanding God's sovereignty, that God has you in that specific position for a reason, and God has control over that. And He loves you to be enough to use whatever circumstances we're in, when, great, uh, when we have plenty or in just dire need, to be satisfied in that. Right? So if we turn with me to Philippians 4, verse 10 through 13. I'm going to actually read verse 10 through 14. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have been revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I'm speaking and being in need... Um, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and or abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my troubles. Right? That, that, that text, Philippians 4. 13 is used in this context, right? You know, lack of contentment is really a spiritual disease. It's a real spiritual disease, and we see the first human beings suffering from this, right? Adam and Eve, they had everything they could possibly want in the garden, right? They basically had the world to themselves, but contentment still was a stranger, as it is to us. This is what, if you think about it, what the serpent really capitalized on was to create a heart of discontentment. That Garden of Eden, what God was doing for them, and how he was fellowshipping with them, was just not enough. Just not enough. Right? And put yourself in your shoes. That's when it, you we all become discontent is something we have, because we all have plenty, right? I was thinking this week, how do department stores exist? Because most of us don't really need more things or clothes. How do they exist? Because discontentment. Why do you go to Starbucks and pay 4 or $5 for a coffee? Because there's discontentment in whatever coffee you're drinking, 
right? Well, it feels good to get this green and white cup with that weird lady with the long flowing hair. <laughs> Somehow that makes us feel good. Or to say these long coffee names, right? I have a friend or a co-worker who is defiant. He'll never say tall, grande, or venti. He says, says small, medium, or large. He's just defiant. I don't know why he even goes there, right? <laughs> but what happened? The serpent capitalized by saying, let them to believe that somehow they would be more content if they defied God. You know, Paul uses a very interesting word here. He says, I have learned to be content, right? I've learned the secret of contentment. Okay, the words, that word, you know, I, I'm a lay person. Those of you who don't know, I'm a lay person. I'm not seminary trained. I'm a lay person. So me looking up Greek is like, I feel kind of like foolish, right? <laughs> but I, I had to look, what did this, what was Paul really saying here? I looked at that word. Um, the word is mantheno, which means to learn, to ascertain, or have objective knowledge. So Paul, in his mind and his heart, knew what that meant. Contentment. Paul could say that because he's writing from prison. Right? He's in shackles when he wrote this. So he could say that. He, it's the right context for him to say that. If he wasn't in some type of palace, like having, you know, having servants who serve him, it would have been a different story. But this is a different context. Paul could say this because he's in the exact position or position of power to say that. So remember, Christianity, when God gives us faith, there's a spiritual aspect of what God does in our hearts. However, Christianity, what gospel does is not just mindless work. Blind, just just people following somebody. God allows us to use our minds to understand and grasp things. So we'll talk a little bit more about this. But Paul, in his heart and mind, grasped this, this rare concept called contentment. So the concept of contentment, at the same time, is a very elusive thing. It's a very, the data shows since 1945, since the end of World War II in this country, um, the, a number of people who have been diagnosed with depression has gone up tenfold. Right? Our standard of living, I don't know exactly how many times, has gone up. Right? Many, many times. We have better homes, better cars, right? We have iPad, iPhone with all the apps, cell phones, like everything has gone up. However, why are more people depressed? The the previous, the greatest generation, they call it, the generation of of 1940s and B. These are people who are coming out of depression, sandwiched between two world wars, right? You know, they say, how many people died in Iraq and Afghanistan? By five, 6,000 people, soldiers, Americans died. And during Korean War, in the rice paddies of Korea, 50,000 Americans died in those three years. To me, like, <laughs> that generation should be more depressed, far more than we are. Most of this generation hasn't seen the wars of calamity of that like, 
Again, no one says our current recession is ever close to depression. Right? Although it's hard for many people, but it hasn't been. But why is that? It is the issue of contentment. Right. You know, we hear often when things happen like that, when you get sick or some our loved one dies or we get in a difficult spot, I mean, we often use the phrase, uh, that puts things into perspective, which usually means um, we live on a daily basis without understanding perspective. We, in a way, mindlessly operate with the, not with the mindset of Paul or having Christ or the gospel in the forefront of our minds. If we did that, I think we could result in what Paul says is that I've learned to, contentment is to deal with things in plenty or in need. But usually we can't because we don't operate that. Remember, Christianity is not a mindless religion. Right. You know, it is not just about contentment or even the biblical perspective. Contentment is not gained by praying 10 hours a day. Praying 10 hours a day, 30 years, won't gain that. It is about, what it comes down to is it's about faith. It is about faith and loving God more. Being able to love God more. Right? Contentment comes from these things. It is a result or the answer to these questions. Our expectations, our success, our possessions, our comforts, Right? We always create expectations. Right? So I, I, I say this to people. Like, you know, we all want to get a better job or higher paying job, right? You know, I say be careful, right? If you get a job that's paying, let's say, 30, 40, 50% more, maybe even double, who wouldn't take that? Someone offered you a job tomorrow and says, I'll pay 50% or more out of your salary is. Most of us won't turn that down. Or it would be hard to turn that down. Right? However, what happens? Be careful in that circumstance. It's because what happens? That person who's offering you that much, the employer, has expectations of your performance. Right? That's, that's going to be created. And we create that too. We do something for somebody or we buy something. We have expectations that there is return on that investment. Right? So like it's sometimes in relationships, right? I think this could happen both ways. Is where, you know, it's if someone loves you too much, right? Like the closest thing I could come through is, is to our children. Our I know all parents in here really love your kids. I have four of them, right? Sometimes they do crazy things. But I still love them. I yell at them, right? I discipline them, but I love them. I think parents all understand that, that feeling, right? But then what happens, right? You set expectations. 
in your children. Some of you men will send, set less academic standards, maybe athletic standards. That's me. That's me. Right? I expect my sons to perform in a certain athletic level. Right? You know. You know, my, so that's how kind of I operate. That's my perspective on things. When I was lying down in the hospital and I came out of the hospital, I was so weak I could barely walk. My job, my goal was in the year following June 2003, I was going to bench 250 pounds. That was my goal. That's how I measured my worth is my strength and athleticism, right? I did, by the way. Anyway. <laughs> um, I do that. Some of the um, maybe the moms, some of the sisters in this room, will set academic standards, right? Right? It's and when the children fail, you're miserable, right? Because of the expectations, right? Let's talk about possessions. During this economy, many people lost their jobs, or they got a reduction in pay. Or it had to change things with people lost homes and things like that. Right? If you lived in a whatever house, whatever you started out with, and you have to reduce, it's not easy. It's easy for your heart to grumble. Right? So contentment is actually a rich person, not based upon what you have or what you don't have and what kind of circumstances we're in. Richness, contentment is a rich person at the heart level and the mind level. Wherever they are, they feel rich. In 1 Timothy 5.6, Paul says, Godliness with contentment is a great gain. And he says, verse 8 later on, says, And having food and clothing, let us be content. Let's do with the basic things. So I want to talk about some symptoms of discontentment or areas of discontentment. Jeremiah Burroughs says, Christian contentment is duty, glory, and excellence of a Christian. Contentment, one of the symptoms of contentment is coveting things, wanting things, wanting some type of... We all live in Orange County, so cars, maybe homes maybe education, type of jobs, or names behind our title in our business cards. When contentment in God decreases, it's, it's an inverse relationship. Our covetousness will increase. They said, someone said, I think it's a great quote, baseball is no longer the national pastime. It's possessions, materialism, money. Things. Spurgeon said this to his congregation: "Is a gold is a good thing when you put it to use, but it's a bad thing in your heart." You know, Spurgeon said this, and his congregation was mostly blue-collar, working-class people. They weren't. There weren't any like real outstanding rich people in in his group. They weren't extravagant by any means, more or less lower middle or lower income bracket people. But he was saying that to that group, to be content. 
you know, you know, we are consumed with consuming, right? Where they say the Money Magazine wrote, there's a medical study that was done on possessions. They say every forty thousand you make in your annual gross income, every forty thousand you make, you'll likely lose two years of your life worrying about those possessions. So if you make eighty thousand, you're minus four years. Because right? more things to worry about. More money you have, more anxiousness there is, more complex your life becomes, and there's less years to live. Right? There's a study done. Every 20,000 you make, your gross income, there's 31% greater chance that you have an extramarital affair. It's more common among affluent people. Remember, you can't serve two masters. Right? Let's look at the Ten Commandments. Tim Keller said this. I, I read his blurb on this. What is the first commandment? Come on now. You shall. You, you, they all start with pretty much you shall, right? You shall love the Lord your God. Right? What is the tenth commandment? You shall not what? Covet. Right? Now he says this, and it's very interesting. I think I'm kind of 80-90% bought into it, so I'll share with you. Is that first and ten commandments, first and the tenth commandment is basically the most of it. If you get those two, you get the middle. If you could pull off those two. Because those two, first and tenth commandment is pretty much the same thing. Right? If you shall love the Lord your God, you don't want anything else. Everything else is just like way down. There's no point. No point. If you love the Lord your God, you're going to honor your father and mother. And you won't steal. You won't commit adultery. You covet. Right? That's when you steal, you commit adultery, so on. Right? Number one results in number ten. If you follow number one and ten, everything else follows. Very interesting. The key is, where do you put your faith in? And I'll talk about that a little bit more. Number two, in symptoms of, of discontentment or yeah, discontentment is complaining of circumstances. And that's a very clear sign of someone who has not learned contentment is complaining. We live a life, I mean, we live in a complaining society. If I take five of you, I'll take a sample, or ten of you, a good sample, one to ten, to either INS or DMV tomorrow, I would bet nine or eight or nine of you will complain. Right? Go, go look at, go, one of these days, we should all go and observe, write down what happens in the DMV and way people work and way things, a lot of complaining going on. Right. Imagine you go to an airport tomorrow and you have a flight to catch 
What is those dreaded words you see up on the board? Delayed or cancel. And don't tell me none of you can complain. Right? In Philippians 2.14, in prior, a couple of chapters prior, Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Right? This world is full of complainers. Complaining is an exp- expression of the satisfied heart that has not yet learned contentment. It's an emotional rejection of circumstances God has sovereignly placed you in. You're actually angry at not the person or the object or flight being canceled. You're angry at God. Right? So let's talk about the text. Learning contentment. The background of this text is Paul, again, is writing as a prisoner is incarcerated, okay? He's in isolation. He is limited in contact with people. And now he says in this text, it's been 10 years since the Philippians uh, sent him a gift, or I guess maybe received anything from them or their love, right? He was a founder of this church. Yet he has been, it's been 10 years. So there's level of loneliness. I think maybe just discouragement or distraught. These things could set in. So this is the context. So I think verse 11 says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, that I have learned whatever in whatever situation I am content. So number one, according to verse 11, is to be satisfied. Be satisfied in wherever we are whatever we have. It's trusting in God when life seems unfair. Right? It's easy to be content when we have everything. When life doesn't seem fair, that's when contentment can set in. The seeds of contentment is planted by trusting in God in our circumstances, all situations. You know, this is very, very, if you think about it, if you think of it, Paul is a very audacious person. To be able to say that I am content under these circumstances, it is pretty amazing. When life treats you unfair, we could choose to become bitter, be angry, or depressed, saying, I trust God and His sovereignty. Paul trusted God, his outworkings of God, his counsel in his situation, that all together, all these things will come together for the good rather than being discontent and grumbling. And contentment, or discontentment, is about control. We want to have control over things. It's a result of, even when we fail, fail miserably, it's understand, even in that failure, God is sovereign. That God is running the show. And one expectation, or one aspect that we want to also cover is, there's also confusion between need and want. Contentment usually not comes as a, as a result of need, but because of want. Right? We're a want society, not need society. That's, want is a modern humanistic humanism philosophy. 
Because what happens is, who becomes the ultimate? It's ultimate, it becomes me, not God. Because God will provide the need, but we want the want. Either we take the humanistic premises and run with it, or we allow God to fulfill whatever we need. Because God promises that. That's what Paul says, the right perspective, in a sense. He says, now that I'm speaking and being in need. He says, I, I basically have all my needs met. Right? So this whole, in the world we live in, in a way, discontentment dwells in our hearts. However, we live in a world that, that just feeds you want. Right? How many people are marketing people here? Yeah, some of you. That's your job. Make people want things they don't really need. Right? Right? It's like good salesman or good marketer will sell ice cubes to Eskimos. Right? Right? It's that kind of society. When we have everything, then you want more. That's what the, it's creating a need. Right? They said, in this generation, before you're 21, you have watched, average American would have watched over 300,000 commercials. Over 300,000. And those 300,000 commercials adds up to millions and millions. Of dollars. And this is not incidental. It's planned to program you to want. C.S. Lewis said, If we think of this world as a place intended to simply for our happiness, we will find it intolerable. But think of this place as a training and correction. It's not so bad. It's perspective. Right. Number two, verse 12. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 12. So it is not circumstantial. Our contentment is not based on circumstances. All right. Let me give you a test. All right. Perspective. Empty your minds. All right. Empty your minds. Merry people, raise your hand. Married or if you're engaged, raise your hand. All right, people. I've talked, let's pretend I've talked to every single of your employer and I got you PTOs or vacation time off for the next week. All married people. And I've run, arranged the bus to come after service. Okay, there'll be a bus to pick up. This is all pretend, okay? Don't get excited. <laughs> Someone say, is a bus really coming? <laughs> no, this is pretend. Right? I'll put things in perspective. Is there'd be a charter bus where all cornerstone married people and their children. I bought every single plane ticket. It's gonna head right to LAX. There's gonna be a four o'clock flight to Kalui Maui. Right? And I have seven nights booked for you, every single one of you and your children, to four seasons in Waialea. Right? And this is how Expedia describes four seasons at the Wailea. Gracious blend of Hawaiian elegance and tranquility. Okay, I know you guys are picturing this. Go ahead. <laughs> Luxurious accommodations, oceanside dining, 
Okay, wide range of activities, including three championship golf courses. This is about what time when I start salivating, right? <laughs> Tennis, water activities, and a perfect escape to a brand new spa. There's a game room, there's a cabana in the midst of this of the garden of the Pacific Vista. Right? It was number one traffical resort by the AAA, one of the few resorts that are five diamond AAA resorts. All right, you could picture this, right? Eating pineapple juice and all that tonight. Single people, raise your hand. Single people, also I have arranged to, for bus to pick you up. But you're not going to Maui. Right? <laughs> but think about this, okay? You're going to, bus is going to pick you up. <laughs> and it's going to have bars on the windows of the bus. Tonight, and next seven nights, you'll sleep in an abandoned state prison in Northern California. The mattresses are very thin, and the blankets and showers are public. <laughs> they only run cold water, by the way. Right? Your food is what the prisoners got when they were in here. Mental image. But then right before you were to leave, someone else, Jason comes and spoils everything. Right? Jason comes and says, hey, none of you are going to these two places that I just described to you. Rather, you're going to a Clarion Hotel in Ontario. <laughs> you're going to spend seven nights there. That's where we're going for the retreat, by the way. <laughs> and you're going to spend seven nights all together seven days and seven nights in Ontario, California. I don't know what you do in Ontario, but it's perspective. The married people, the point I'm trying to make is all those married people, you are angry, right? <laughs> you are bummed. You just lost your Maui vacation. But those of the single people who are about to go to prison, <laughs> Ontario's not so bad, right? Matter, as a matter of fact, it's like, you're, this is good. Right? It's perspective. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's where we come from, knowing where we're going, what we had, what we potentially had, and we lose these stuff. But even for single people, being content in where Paul was in prison, right? Paul was in prison. Can we be content? in any of these three circumstances. Right? And Paul says, I learned to be content. You know, many of us are ambitious here. I think uh, most of us were not as ambitious as Paul once was. Right? He was driven to succeed, to excel, before he met the risen Lord. In chapter 3 of Philippians, it says, you know, Paul had a pedigree. He was Jew of Jews, circumcised on the eighth day, member of tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, blameless under the law. His credentials were good as he got at one point. That he prided and prized in his... Um, 
who he was. He got what he coveted. He's the one who's the Pharisee of Pharisees who stoned Stephen. Yet, on the road to Damascus, he meets the risen Lord. And life changes. And in prison, toward the end of his life, Paul says, I've learned to be content. In prison. When he was born as a tri- in the tribe of Benjamin, he would have never thought this would happen. And he would have said to himself, I would never be in prison and be satisfied. But he was. It's a transformation in the mind and his heart that God brought about in his life. He was a rich man. It's a very difficult thing to grasp, but Paul did. Remember, contentment is independent of circumstances. Where often, maybe many of us will crumble, Paul rejoiced. Um, Number three, verse 14. He was, even in that circumstance, here's a content person, is that he was thankful for others. Verse 14 says, Yet it was kind of you to share in my troubles. He thinks of, he's thankful for people. He has a thankful heart. Content person has um, thankfulness in his heart. He considers others. He, he's thankful for fellowship, what he had gained in others. He values others, other Christians. He's concerned for their well-being. He's thankful for that. It's a mindset of Christ. Lastly, verse 13. This is, everything kind of funnels through this. It says, I can do all things through Christ. Not through Him, who strengthens me. Now, this again, like this is, people take this out of context and instead of preaching health and wealth, this is not it. There's a man who's writing in prison, right? He has nothing. It's a mindset of like John the Baptist, who in John 3.30 says, he makes much of Christ, that he must increase, I must decrease. It's not of himself, it's about Christ. Overarching mindset is reliance on Christ and who He is to our lives. So the realities of Christ, what are they? Look at Jesus. He gave up the riches and became poor. He humbled Himself to become man, to take on flesh. Christ never preached physical wealth that brought contentment. He never trusted in possessions. But He gave all of himself for others. That's the example. We see in Christ, it's trusting in the character of our Lord, our risen Savior. To remember in John 15, 5, to abide in him. And without him, we can't do nothing. Who enabled Paul to be content? It is our Lord. Whether he was full or hungry, he enabled him to be able to bound in him. Our, Paul's adequacy and our adequacy ought to come from sufficiency in Christ. That's the secret he learned, is that he could do things 
It's these things through Christ. It's a fairly easy concept. Paul grasped it in his mind and in his heart. He understood when our Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you. So because my power is perfected in your weakness. When you're brought low, his grace will be perfected. To me, when I was lying in the hospital bed when I couldn't breathe, that was great. I look back and I cherish those times. In that moment, it's difficult. But I cherish those moments because I experienced God's grace. I'm thankful for that. That ability came through Christ. God, He helped him to realize that. In 1563, the Oxford martyrs, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, were burned at the stake. And Mr. Latimer said this, while they torched, they began torching a fire underneath his feet, he said, he turned to his friend, Mr. Riley, Ridley, and said, Be of good comfort. Play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England. I trust that it shall never be put out. How does a man who will in seconds burn to death to say such thing? Yeah, I'll point you to Paul. In that circumstance, even in point of death, point of immense suffering, he could delight. He understood the realities of Christ. So that's my final thoughts. I have three. You know, lack, lack of contentment. I have four, I think. Four. Lack of contentment is simply unbelief. Unbelief in Christ. Unbelief in God who loves you. That he'll never leave us. He'll never abandon us. He'll help us in all circumstances. Then, contentment comes from being in certain uncertain, uncertain, uncertain positions in life. When there's uncertainty in life, that's when contentment comes. That's when we most learn to be content. Right? Yeah. Great athletes become great, not when they're up 30 points in the fourth quarter, right? When you're down by one and there's three seconds to play and you have the ball, that's when athletes become great. But in this circumstance, when things are difficult, we're down and out, it's difficult, but we could trust Christ. That's when we learn commitment. Therefore, it's tied with the next one. Contentment is often a byproduct of distress. The distress in our lives drives us to prayer. Difficulty in life draws draws us to see power of Christ. So we should be thankful in trials and difficulties because it helps us, every little degree, helps us to be more like Christ and understand Him and trust Him that much more. Lastly, where is your faith? This is what it comes down to. You know, if we live our... Um, Keller said this, is that if we live our lives on this icing, because we all love, like, you know, when children love icing on cake, we love that, right? 
But can you imagine eating icing every day? What would happen to us? Right? This is why Matthew 22, 37 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind and soul. Right? We may all say that we are not like Paul. His faith was greater than ours. My faith isn't that strong. That's why he was an apostle. How do you expect me to be like Paul? Apostle Paul and be an apostle? The answer is we can. Bible promises that we can. Right? We all, it's not because we lack faith. We all have faith. The difference is, where's the object of your faith? Who is the object of your faith? Is faith ultimately in things of life? Or your bank account? Or your education? Your family? Or your husband or wife? Or your children? Faith, is, is that in yourself? Or is that faith? There's two things. There's no middle ground here. Either our faith as a Christian is in Christ, or is it in ourselves? And things that we could gain. If our security comes because of the positions we hold, the businesses we have, and what we know, what we are taught, if we stand on that foundation, that's our faith, we will never be content. But in whatever we say, whatever circumstances, we put our faith in Christ, which Paul does and did. That's when we find contentment. Contentment cannot come from things of this world. Contentment comes from through the mind, through the heart, through the risen Lord and the promises contained in scriptures and what God could do for us. The overarching mindset is that of Christ. And that's what Paul points to. And may our heart and our faith point to him as well. Therefore, we too can learn to be content. May God grant us that grace each day to be humbly put our faith in Him that we would be content in need or in plenty in all circumstances. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you praise for this day. We thank you for the time of sharing your word the examples of Paul or as truly as Paul said that we may submit ourselves to Christ and put our trust and set our minds and our faith on him not in ourselves that we may be able to gain a true rare jewel of contentment in you and as we do depart from this place we may do so and we may understand the realities whether we're in plenty or in need, that we would rejoice in you, that we would be able to find in our hearts and in our minds, as Paul said, to be able to learn contentment in our lives. We thank you for our time. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>